Through their investment in the corn checkoff, Minnesota's corn growers are fueling research that builds a more sustainable future for farmers and all Minnesotans. Each month, we will be speaking with the researchers who are leading the projects helping farmers become better stewards of the land and developing new markets that increase profitability. Today, we're talking with Melissa Wilson, a manure nutrient management specialist with the University of Minnesota. Melissa, let's kind of tackle two topics at once, but, but doing so because they're, they're intertwined for the purposes of your latest research. Uh, cover crops and manure. I guess I'll, I'll throw this out to you to begin with. As you move north to the upper Midwest, it's more difficult to establish cover crops because of the shorter, you know, warm seasons. Uh, but, but farmers are getting creative with ways of, of using cover crops. So traditionally, when people were trying to use cover crops with manure, they would harvest the field, get the manure applied, and then get the cover crops on. But our idea was, what if the cover crop was already growing and potentially taking up nutrients when you applied the manure versus waiting until you've applied the manure and then there's that gap of time before the crop gets big enough to really start taking up some nutrients. So we decided to try that out and some researchers in Minnesota were wrapping up a project when I arrived. I started in the summer of 2017 where they had done this, but they waited to drill the cover crop after harvest and then let it grow for either a couple weeks up to a month or so. And then they applied the manure and it worked out pretty well. There was good nitrogen uptake by the cover crop. Even in the spring, they used winter rye and this was all on farms. It was done with all farm equipment. And they didn't see any differences in yields where they had applied manure versus uh, where they applied manure but didn't have a cover crop. So the cover crop took up some nitrogen but didn't seem to hurt yields. So that was pretty good looking, but we wanted to get the cover crops established a little earlier, kind of because of what you said, where if you're waiting until after harvest, in some years, that's already getting a little too late to have any kind of warmth for those cover crops to grow. So we took it to the next step. Right now we are interseeding cover crops earlier in the season. We're doing it around V4. There's been some research that if you do it to V7, you won't have any kind of weed issues where the cover crops might compete with the corn. But a lot of farmers are doing it earlier, so we figured why not try to do what the farmers are actually doing. So we went in at the V4 growth stage, which is when the corn is up, has the forest leaf collar has established. So corn is usually somewhere between like four to eight inches tall, roughly. And we also, another type of plot we wanted to try was overseeding. So we went in around late August, early September and seeded then, because technically the canopy of the corn is starting to open back up. So that gives a little more sunlight for the cover crop. And then we also did a treatment where we harvested and drilled the cover crop afterwards. And with all three of those, we had also two manure treatments where we applied manure early. So as soon as possible after harvest when the soil temperatures were still pretty warm. And we applied late when the soil temperatures were below 50 degrees Fahrenheit, which is when we typically re recommend that fall applications occur. And the whole point was just to try to see, can we get these cover crops established earlier or does it make more sense to wait and drill? And then if they're growing, can that take up some of the nutrients that are applied with the manure and hold them until spring? Um, we know we've all been having wetter falls and spring. So having those cover crops there to help retain some of those nutrients can be really beneficial. 
so that's kind of what we set out to do and we started that last year and we've collected some samples this spring we don't have all the nutrient results in the soils yet but we're hoping to do that once our labs open back up what what are the initial findings what what information can you give us based on those three different scenarios that you laid out well so far we did not see any impact so this um, first round was on silage corn we did not see any impact on the silage corn that was harvested last fall some people have concerns that with the competition of the cover crop that that might kind of inhibit yield a little bit and we didn't see any differences where there was a cover crop seeded early versus where the cover crop was drilled afterwards and then we have some treatments where we didn't have any cover crop at all no differences across the board and our cover crops were still pretty small so we didn't see any significant differences the silage uh, harvest kind of put a bit of a hamper on our growth for a little bit there in the fall because it's uh, pretty rough on the soil surface at least so we didn't see any differences in nutrients in the fall but we collected samples and we'll see if we see any nutrient differences this spring so a, a loaded question here melissa but as far as how you would uh, gauge success um at this point at least in the in the first year or two would you say that no yield reduction would be maybe the the optimum goal and i know there's so much more to it than than eventual yield we're talking about soil health and everything um because mm -hmm. I, I i continue to talk to farmers who are looking at cover crops and the question that hangs over them is you know what kind of a return will this be i understand that it's good for my soil health but what's it going to do to yield could it eventually actually you know benefit yield so as you unpack all of that, um, what are the short-term targets and what are the longer-term targets? Yeah, great question. I think for the shorter term, it definitely does look at yields are important. Over the long term, we would hope that we're enhancing nutrient cycling so that maybe in the future, if you continue in this kind of system, that you could reduce some of the nitrogen inputs, for instance, because the <clears throat> cover crops when they take up nutrients, they don't necessarily release everything that first year. At least that's what a lot of the research is finding. It may take a couple of years. So as you move into the cycle where you're having a cover crop every year or every other year, potentially that's releasing some of those nutrients in the long term, you can hopefully reduce some of your nutrient inputs you know, after a couple of years. And I think some of the research, longer term research is going you know, five to six years when you start seeing some of these differences between systems. And as you think about future years and, and what this study could evolve into, do you, do you envision that there will be more cover crop species that you'll incorporate? Obviously, you continue to play around with the timing of, of interseeding these cover crops and, and technology, whether it's uh, especially on the equipment side, it's allowing farmers to, to interseed you know, later and later into the year. So um, what are some of those um, aspects to the study that you look forward to in future years? So the cover crop species are definitely a question. We have I talked mostly about one project so far, and that was a winter rye and annual ryegrass mix, because we know that annual ryegrass tends to do a little bit, a little better in shaded conditions, versus the winter rye um, won't winter kill and will grow in the spring and continue to take up some of the nutrients. And we also are looking at a study where we went in after sweet corn and drilled a couple different things. We looked at oats as a single source we looked at winter rye and then we looked at a mix of winter rye oats and radish as well to try to see if these mixes can be beneficial or not and I'm thinking that they can be the oats grow and the radish grow nice and quickly in the fall 
they'll tend to winter kill, but they'll take up a nice flush of nitrogen at first. Versus the winter rye, it grows a little slower in the fall, doesn't get quite as big, it doesn't take up quite as many nutrients. But then in the spring, when it's really thriving, it can take up more of those. So I'm thinking the mix will be good, but we have yet to see. Again, we just started that last year, so we collected some biomass samples this spring, and we'll see what the uptake looks like. And my last question was, more about the the technology that's allowing for more flexibility seeding a cover crop but what about technology giving a, a producer more flexibility with applying manure are we seeing some more options coming to market yeah good question i didn't mention the seeding we're also doing some on-farm stuff we're working with aj cruzmark and he is looking at kind of the manure application equipment too but i'll get to that in a minute he's looking at the types of equipment where you can go in pretty much any time in the season. So you'll apply the high boy that has drop tubes that can apply the seed um, kind of under the canopy. So that's really cool that people are able to be flexible. You know, if the conditions aren't great around V4, you don't want to get into a wet field, for instance, then you could go later with this type of thing. So that's really cool. As for manure application equipment, the one thing we found is that if you're applying into a living cover crop, it needs to be low disturbance. You don't want to be flipping the soil and really disturbing your cover crop. So we are using um, injection equipment that minimizes disturbance on the surface. So it kind of makes a line, it's a, or makes a line, or a, can't think of the word right now into the soil that the manure goes into at a flat, and then it kind of has closing wells that cover it instead of flipping soil up over it. And that's looking really, it looked pretty good last fall. And then AJ is actually using strip-till manure application. So that leaves that strip where the cover crop can grow, and then he has the clean area where he'll feed the next spring. I'm excited to hear more results from this. Uh, any other aspects to the study that we haven't touched on yet that you want to make sure we do? Uh, besides some of the nutrient cycling stuff, we are going to measure some soil health aspects as well. We're looking at uh, soil compaction with and without the manure application, with and without the cover crops, and then the combination of them. And some of the other things we'll be looking at, like microbial uh, mass population types of things as well. So. We're excited to look at the nutrient aspects. We're excited to look at the agronomic aspects and the soil health aspects as well. How can our listeners follow along with this study? Would you direct them to the university's website, to the Minnesota Corn Growers website? Yeah, I would say both. The Minnesota Corn Growers have funded uh, at least part of this project. We also received funding from the Natural Resources Conservation Service. So I'd say Minnesota Corn Growers would be a great outlet. We will also be publishing updates occasionally on the Minnesota Crop News, which is in the University of Minnesota Extension blog. And I also have a Twitter account. I'm at Prof, which I try to post pictures when I get on what's going on with their research and post updates there as well. To learn more, visit mncorn.org.